Hello and welcome to Co in Tahoe's. I am your host Poppy and I am with Fergie today. Just us. Hi. No yes. guests. We want to showcase our wonderful, beautiful personalities. Um so that you guys get parasocially attached to us so we can make you our little pay piggies. Um, of course, yeah. We're the <laughs> reflection of all of your insecurities or what is our spiel? I forgot. Where the what was it? You you it was you that wrote that really clever thing on our Twitter. I forget what it was. You said that we we're like nightmare animas or some shit. I like. Oh that. yeah. Well, we are <laughs> nightmare anima. I'm I'm very That's much right. into it. Um, speaking of nightmare anima and nightmare animus, um, the Marilyn Manson Evan Rachel Wood uh, case has been in the news, as as well as a bunch of other women too who have come forward to accuse uh marilyn manson of abuse um i have a lot to say about this i have a lot a lot a lot to say about this but would you just like to introduce the topic and sort of let people know what's been going on yeah so in a shocking revelation uh marilyn manson turns out to be a real freak (laughs) (laughs) um i mean that like i never expected that but So Evan Rachel Wood came out and said, I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. I stand with the many victims who will no longer be silent. And it's like, okay, um, like, I don't know, my immediate sort of thoughts about this when I found out, I just thought of like who Marilyn Manson is. And it's like, I feel like, in the before time, like before we all became genderless, amorphous consumer shells, like men like Marilyn Manson, you know, you dated them because you knew they were scumbags. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. I it's didn't know like, it's sweetie. I've... Your man's wearing guy liner and <laughs> like, he's a piece of shit. But like, yeah, like, I yeah. don't know, like men like Marilyn Manson were kind of like allowed to be pieces of shit in their own. Like, I get what you mean. But like, were you ever homes. a goth? Was that ever your thing? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, I went through like a little phase of it briefly. No, I was straight up. I was a straight up goth kid at one point like i was was really yeah i was like watching the craft like on repeat i was like doing my little wiccan rituals i was listening to (laughs) like basically i was listening to like the cure and like i did have a brief sort of manson phase um but like one of but i the reason why i sort of grew disillusioned with the whole goth scene is because um it sort of was a cover for because uh, it attracted a lot of people who felt a little bit weird or alienated or whatever, or who were into spooky, dark stuff. It kind of acted as a cover for a lot of people to cover their mental illness or their BPD yeah, or their like bird- borderline personality and like sort of validate it with this sort of aesthetic. And a lot of the people who were in the goth scene, a lot of the people who I, um, you know, encountered had like serious, serious mental issues. <laughs> Um, or the men were just like straight up like abusive and there was this whole there was this whole like thing of like and especially when you're young in that scene and stuff of like you are supposed to be up for anything sexually including Mm. like sadomasochism and like bdsm and stuff or or whatever the fuck um even if it's not something you're comfortable with you don't want to be normie or vanilla so it basically becomes this sort of 
competitive degeneracy, if you know what I mean, where you want to show that you're like the most hardcore. And a lot of women who have like no sense of boundaries or confidence or self get caught up in that loop. Um, yeah, I feel sorry for the, I feel sorry for the younger, I feel, okay, sorry. I have yeah. sympathy for the younger girls in the scene, but I think it sort of speaks to how shitty our society is as mm. a whole when it comes to preparing younger girls for entering the world of sexuality and the world of men. You know, you either have the puritanical view of the virginal kind of view, or you have this sort of liberal feminism, which is like, everything goes and the world is your oyster. And, you know, <laughs> you should, and it does nothing to prepare them to sort of spot the warning signs or to set boundaries or to do any of those things, especially among like the genteel white middle class. A lot of those women um, are trained to sort of be subservient and to expect protection. And they are also not aware of danger a lot of the time because they've grown up in fairly safe environments. Um, but then when it comes to the older women who have had more experience and have had the time to sort of figure out how to spot warning signs and how to be responsible about who they choose to allow into their life, I have a little bit less sympathy because it's like, you right. kind of there's something in you that no because it's obvious that Marilyn Manson is a fucking weirdo but there's something in <laughs> right. you that yeah, wanted to like titillate yourself yeah. with that darkness of course. and instead of you to like self-reflect and heal you're now trying to sort of like Anakachian says crowdsource your misery and right. it's a way of sort of avoiding the work of like healing in a lot of in a lot of the way but yeah when I was a young girl in the goth scene had a bit of a I had a bad time because I was also ill-equipped um in that sense but like I learned from it and like moved on I learned from it and sort of tried not to make the same mistakes and tried to have like sharpen my instincts in that sense um but it's also it's just a problem it's a problem of like a culture that wants to titillate itself with darkness um yeah, and it's like, well, at least back then, like, the freaks had an outlet for it, right? Like, you kind of knew what you were getting into with the Marilyn Mansons of the world. You knew that you were, like, fucking dating a scumbag, and you, you, you wanted to do that. But, like, now that art is dead, like, these freaks have, like, no kind of depravity through creativity to express themselves with, other than, like being the most stringent enforcers of the police state within the confines of like woke ideology right yeah. so i think that now you take these like men who are sort of like gender non-conforming or non-conforming in other uh, aesthetic ways who would like ordinarily just sort of be like the Marilyn mansons or like make something you know edgy and a little depraved but you know there'd be some kind of like value in it uh but now it's like these men just kind of become the most stringent enforcers of this like woke ideology and i thought it was really interesting watching evan rachel wood's statement like she was um sorry like she was crying and shaking and it was horrible to see right like she was clearly very physically she was young when they affected. got together yeah she was young she was young yeah but like now she's recounting this like i don't know actually how many years later but it's been a while right yeah, many years, many, many years. Like, I think she's yeah. in her 30s now. And she's they in were, her 30s. He got with her when she was, like, 18 or 19. And they were on and off until about 
I think 2008 to around that time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been over a decade and like she's crying and shaking sort of like, and I don't want to demean her experience, but you know, she, she's breaking down. Like she had been raped two seconds ago outside of the courtroom And I don't know, I think a lot of this is very instructive to how like the performative trauma of like affluent white liberal feminists, uh, you know, construes like the battles that these elites have with each other in the public arena. And like, they Mm. can only really be a performance, like for working people and that they have absolutely no effect for them. Like Mm. domestic abuse, domestic Mm. abuse is a crime of poverty, not patriarchy, not bad ideas like she's talking about women's rights as if you know women weren't overrepresented at the university as if it was the 60s all over again and like i'm certainly not the first to make this critique right but like so much of this public sort of groveling as a woman with a platform like a famous rich woman like evan rachel wood like it's so detrimental for all women because there's no dignity in performing your trauma that way i know know and i i I find it i find it sad that that incentive is what people feel like they have to follow in order to seek justice for wrongdoing. It yes. makes me sad that there's this sort of de- uh, c- de- demand to consume trauma. And that's what it is. It's sort of, uh, you know, allowing your trauma to be repackaged and kind of consumed by others. But I don't think yeah. they, they, that a lot of the women who do this even see it that way. I think they see it as, oh, if I'm public and sort of show this public grief, then others who have gone through the same thing may find some sense of resonance in it, um, which which is true. And it can be sort of healing for some people to see in that sense. But, more, but, because, but we don't exist. We don't exist in a vacuum. We exist under capitalism. No. And what that ends up doing is like creating a demand for the consumption of trauma, um, of the trauma of women and um, yeah. a market that sort of, clusters around that and sort of careerist incentives that elevate certain women who are able to perform trauma the most and women who don't want to perform their trauma are are overlooked because of that women who are you know more private or who are not really willing to put themselves out on the public stage they are um that they are sort of maligned in favor of those who are willing to show their quote-unquote scars to the world and yeah i think that that creates a really terrible system of incentives yeah like i'm not saying like i agree with you i'm not saying that there's nothing generative to come out of women telling their stories publicly you know even like elite bourgeois women or whatever but like it just manufactures consent for all of these like trans historical narratives of oppression that we still live in a patriarchy it's just a way to link working class women to these bourgeois women when really they have far more in common with the men of the working class yeah and it's like look we're all fucking like roided out atomized neoliberal subjects but you know it's just that some of them want special dispensations for it and like institutional leverage so uh, like when women perform their trauma when powerful women perform their trauma even if just like a hollywood celebrity like evan rachel wood it necessarily is a political weapon because you're manufacturing consent for the idea that there's something worse than the status quo which is like patriarchy And it's like, the future is female, the future is now, it's soft power, and it enables like, all kinds of informal hierarchies. Big uh, time. Exercise through social coercion. um, Big time. And and you get all these like, bourgeois forces to, uh, to counter that. 
Big time. And I mean, <laughs> what Marilyn Manson is kind of an interesting figure in that sense because, I mean, um, he was sort of lauded and celebrated at, by the culture for being transgressive. Mm. Um, so there's, a, there's almost like a double-sided hypocrisy there because, um, you know, the discourse that's been surrounded, surrounded him, of course, you know, that people have the right to be shocked and appalled. I was, I'm shocked and appalled. I think his actions, alleged actions are, uh, you know, appalling. Um, Absolutely, but yeah. at the same time, you know, they, there's this sort of weird double-edged like cultural hypocrisy because he showed everybody who he was from the beginning, uh, like in his books, he was writing yeah. all of these excerpts about like rape and how he abused women, how he abused staff. And people sort of overlooked it for the longest time because they had this parasocial obsession with, you know, him. And they were also titillating themselves with his like edginess and his darkness. But so long as it's from a safe, consumable distance, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and like, Another really interesting that's happened is that the 90s Christian parents are now sipping tea and kikiing <laughs> on this issue. And like, yeah, I it's know. almost like a resurrection of Christian morality. There's something distinctly oh, sort of yeah, pi- it's totally Piscean. conservative. Yeah, in a sense, the way that they this that, that, you know, a lot of people are now sort of kind of doubling down on the idea that subversive aesthetics are, are inherently um are inherently dark and i mean yeah they can be used to conceal um you know darkness but one has to have a certain level of discernment and i feel like that's kind of what is missing in this discourse the Mm. fact that we need to do a better job at equipping people especially women with discernment and with uh you know self-esteem and self-respect and also boundaries that's one thing that you know you're supposed you know the modern woman you're supposed to be totally available you know that that's that's what especially within these sort of subversive edgy scenes that have sort of a sexual edge to them like the goth Mm. you're supposed to be you know perpetually sexually available you're not supposed to have any boundaries and you know a lot of young women who um go into these scenes they're unsure of themselves they're unsure of how to really fully interact with men Um, They don't understand how the sort of sexual interplay or dynamics work. They don't understand how sexual signaling works. They don't understand anything. They're just sort of like, you know, complete. And then a lot of older men take advantage of that aspect as well. And, you know, just look at the DSA meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're not we're not like um, equipping young women with dignity and self-respect and also the ability to um set and assert boundaries and you know you hear all when you hear the stories from people who have experienced you you always hear things and it's and it's it's not just um and the thing is if there's a class difference between this though as well because it's it's of course you know things happen to women in the working class of course but in the work, working class women I've encountered, and I mean, Camille Paglia talks about it all the time, are very much more, you know, loud and they'll shout and they'll push back against undue sort of male sexual aggression in a way that these sort of genteel bourgeois women are not trained to. They are right. more demure 
and more meek mm. and they also have you know families they're more atomized too they have families and parents that are uninvolved or uninterested so they're not necessarily coming into the adult realm of sexuality equipped with the knowledge they need in order to navigate it and it creates absolute fucking disaster and there's this really interesting thing that camille palia said um in one of her lectures she was sort of talking about subversive art and you know subversion and perversion and deviance and she was talking about how you know because someone challenged her and said well you are a pro-sex feminist and mm. you also love deviation and subversion you're someone who identifies as non-binary you're also a lesbian all of those different things yeah. yet she seems to also have a respect for the public square in that sense um mm. and she basically said that what gives subversive art its power is the fact that it's outside of the mainstream institutions exactly. and she gave she gave the example of like um she gave the example of uh uh i forget the name of the artist but he was a gay photographer um in the i don't i think like early 20th mid 20th century i don't remember who it was specifically but he basically photographed like the underground bdsm scene in new york city and his mm. work was considered incredibly you know subversive and perverse and it kind of created a bit of a moral panic during his time and a few mm. you know a couple of years ago they were supposed to display his work in a prominent museum but the prominent museum sort of rejected it um and the activists who were sort of you know surrounding his work were appalled and they were like oh it's horrible it's because of racism it's because of homophobia it's because of all of this and Talia was saying that um she was kind of appalled by their response because what gave the art once once the once the um art is put in this like institutionalized museum once that kind of subversive art is put there it sort of loses its subversive appeal it becomes neutralized yes. and then she said in a protest, the activists sort of projected some of his images onto the wall of the museum. Mm. And she was like, yeah, that's fucking cool. That's dope. <laughs> that's the way that you fucking do it. And like, yeah, I feel like Marilyn Manson is like the McDonald's of like, you know, he's the McDonald's. He's sort of a that he's there's not a lot of substance to him. And I know that a lot of people no. were because a lot of women were like, oh, he's so intellectual, like with his like Levian Satanism and all of his like <laughs> interesting um, tidbits about, you know, this and that. But he's really hollow and really boring. And there's no real ph philosophical substance to any of what he says. Like I used to watch a lot of his interviews and most of it is like boring, you know, Gen X cultural yeah. you know that very quintessential idiotic kind of gen x liberal perspective that's basically yeah. what he is he's like the that McDonald's liberal transgression of yeah the 90s yeah the liberal transgression yeah. yeah yeah of like the 90s and early 2000s very sort of milk toast and lame and boring mm. um and sure. there wasn't very much that was subversive about him um in europe especially because we don't have the Christian morality of America as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the idea of a man profaning all of these sacred symbols wasn't really something that, you know, titillated people here as much as it did in America. Um, but yeah, he was sort of like the McDonald's of that kind of subversive um, art and appeal. And there was a, a shallowness to him and a shallowness to his personality that was very difficult to not 
it was difficult to miss because he had a tremendous magnetic power and like appeal to him if you Mm. know what i mean and he also you know he was um a mythos he created like a mythology that was compelling around himself and he was constantly embroiled in controversy um so it was easy to sort of overlook you know the kind of obvious like shit lord aspects of like he's an edge lord basically um aspects of him yeah. because of that and i know this sort of person intimately that this has been an intimate part of my like dating history <laughs> and like oh, you God. know history yeah, in terms of like yeah <laughs> i know this person very intimately um <laughs> male narcissist oh god and also because i (laughs) tend to go for the kind of gothy like oh dear i could tell you um i could tell you stories i tend to go for the very kind of gothy like mysterious like mr darcy type of person who's like oh no like i yeah i can definitely see how a weaker younger version of me would have fallen prey to the same sort of thing um and the weaker version, a Definitely. weaker, younger version of me has felt fallen prey to a similar thing many a time. Um, <laughs> and there's an element same of me girl, that. Same. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, we could, we should do like a love episode for sure. We should talk about. We shouldn't. Um, we really should not. <laughs> we should, not. <laughs> <laughs> should never. <laughs> there's too much there. there it's, oh god. Yeah. Yeah, too much performing our traumas. For oh yeah, let's not. No, I mean we should talk about other people's. We should spill tea on other people's shit. We shouldn't talk about. Oh yeah, I'm down. Own. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about other people's shit. Yeah, let's, let's spill tea gossip. on other people and not like fucking uh, talk about us. our own bullshit. No thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. What was I saying? Yeah, I can see how a younger version of myself. So I'm quite, kind of split in two as an ex-goth and somebody who had a vulnerable history as a, as a younger girl. But then mm. also looking at it from the aspect of like political economy and how it operates around these things, I have sort of a different perspective about what needs to be done in order to protect younger, vulnerable women, regardless of who they are, from be falling prey to this. Um, and also the dynamics that make people more susceptible I, and it's it's impossible to talk about those dynamics without people being like, you're a victim blaming. Uh, and that's Lol. definitely not my proclivity or what I want to do. Well, we're seeing this in like our very, you know, governing bodies. Like speaking of Me Too, someone needs to Me Too AOC for emotional rape. Because honestly, I feel pretty violated. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Wow. AOC was caught lying about almost being murdered by the insurrectionists. I feel so much trauma. Hashtag respect Poppy's trauma. Otherwise, you're victim blaming. Because people have been so <laughs> mean to me, Fergie, about not being totally deferential to everything that's been going on right now. I've been dragged oh, through the mud. It's, people are vicious and horrible, but I guess when you, it comes to protecting their sort of favorite victims, which always end up being members of the ruling class, it's fine mm. to shit all over everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Like she did this whole, did you see the live stream she did? She did this whole like mm-hmm. emotional buildup where she was, you know, apparently forced to barricade herself in the bathroom or she was at risk of being assassinated. But, like, only after the fact, only after she did all of her, like, theatrics and performing trauma or whatever, did she reveal that she was actually just hiding from a Capitol Police officer, like, looking for her. And there's absolutely, there's been no indication that the rioters even breached the office. 
like the office building where she's in is not even in the Capitol building itself where they actually broke into. It's in a building adjacent to it. And so, but the way that she framed things was extremely emotionally manipulative Mm -hmm. because she essentially, what she did was rhetorically link the trauma that she supposedly incurred at the Capitol with like her personal story of being sexually assaulted. And so she was able to successfully like weave this story together as one unified thing. So yeah, like you're saying, anybody who challenged her account of what happened at the Capitol is being smeared as a rape apologist. Like Mike Tracy was put on the trending page of Twitter and they like appended the fucking story with not AOC's lies, obviously like Michael Tracy being a rape apologist. And so, and it's like, you know, this person has uh, the most powerful social media platform in the entire world. And she paints this as the failure of institutions to believe women or whatever. But it's like, come on, like, as if we don't have in 2021 discourse about like, consent contracts. Like AOC is definitely the perfect caricature of the hysterical whammon and, and how, you know, all of their favorite victims have to be now. You have to be a hysterical character of identity narcissism, essentially. That's like what pisses the... me off, though, and perplexes yeah. me is that I come from a country where I could never, ever imagine any of our po- stiff upper lip politicians, you no. know, fucking doing, pulling any of the shit. They would be totally like pushed out of the public square. I mean, Theresa May was like a stoic robot for most of her campaign. Mm-hmm. Sorry, for most of her run in office. Um, and she broke down and cried only when she was leaving number, de- number 10 Downing Street. Um, mm. That was the one time that we ever saw the, you know, stony facade crack. And um, she got a lot of flack for that. Um, yeah. Even though she had been completely stoic throughout the entire sort of, you know, um, her entire time as prime minister uh, and mm. people really gave her a lot of shit for that. So I can't imagine if one of our like if there was some like Labour Party, like Radlib fucking, you know, whamming just there, like bawling her eyes out and like doing all this display. It's just not like English culture. No. It's just not what we, it's just not, we're very stiff upper lip. We're not as susceptible to emotional pornography. Um, and I prefer that. I prefer my ruling class to dom me. I, pr- I don't want them to be topping me from the bottom. I want them to fucking just top. You're going to be a exactly. fucking top, be a top. Like, it's so demagogic. And yeah, she's like a, she's a figure. AOC is sort of a Trumpian figure in that sense. Um, she's very social media, you know, aware in terms of aware but she's definitely not as savvy or as funny as trump but she's uh she has yeah i mean she literally has the most powerful social media presence in the world outside of trump who was yeeted off the platform right like after the incident at the capitol she started uh imploring the tech companies to engage in corporate censorship intervention which they fucking did (laughs) after she pressed google and apple to remove parlor it did that right we talked about that last time amazon Mm -hmm. removed parlor which until this past month would have been close to incomprehensible and it's like aoc as a member of the majority in the house of reps has a huge amount of power and leverage to issue those commands, clearly. So to act like somehow, you know, she's this victim that you can't question is incredibly dangerous because what they're trying to do now is in- essentially instill like a therapeutic state by folding like in all of this therapeutic knowledge. So like AOC, 
happened to decide that, you know, that Congress should behave itself like a therapy group. (laughs) And it's like, uh, as soon as you're taking a legislative body, right, the House of Reps makes laws that govern the populace, incredibly dangerous. I mean, if you can't criticize these incredibly powerful Congress people, or you're accused of gaslighting or rape apology, like you're necessarily Mm -hmm. implying, you're necessarily implying that these officials have absolutely no obligations to their constituents. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying and Orwellian, the fact that this is just a perfect way for them to avoid any scrutiny. They can just sort of, you know, invoke this as a moral cover. And that's why I would rather my elites be stiff upper lip people who were like molested in boarding school than, (laughs) (laughs) you know, crying hysterical women. Like, I don't, I don't need that. (laughs) And that's the thing. No, the strength of weakness illusion kind of makes people it's so good it's such a perfect ploy to make people forget that these people are some of the most powerful people on the planet yeah it is perfect and you know what i I feel like trump's trauma and lived experience is really being gaslit and undermined right now like that's what uh, i want to know is that if if conservatives decided that they were going to employ the same tactic, would mm. it hold water? If, st- if conservatives started going around complaining about their trauma, or if Trump divulged that he was, like, molested or some shit, <laughs> do you think that it would hold the same fucking water? Well, that's the thing. Of course not, right? Like, Cory Bush, supposedly by this framework, it should, because uh, Cory Bush said everybody's everybody's experiences must be validated. But, you know, by this framework, like, there's no kind of truth value that can ever be extracted from standpoint epistemology or, like, people's lived experience, which is what that is. Because the second that you established any kind of hierarchy, like, it necessarily renders the framework entirely incoherent. So, hmm, like maybe there's something wrong with this framework. (laughs) I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And and it's also very interesting because like in psychology, right? Like when someone incurs a trauma, then you also analyze their behavior and you link it to the trauma and you analyze how that trauma like may be affecting your client's perceptions. So then they're folding in this like believe whammon no matter what stuff and like, you know, talking uh, while at the same time uh, you can't question her perception of the events like even though she's linking it to her rape like that conflation should discredit whatever she's saying like right off the bat because it's so insane Mm. but of course it doesn't um no (laughs) of course it doesn't like it's just a raw expression of power really like i said in a previous episode it's really not to be underestimated the way that like BreadTube, for example, really helped to prime the future of politics. And if you think about it, AOC kind of was like the number one BreadTuber. <laughs> yeah, big time. Um, same sort of tactics, same kind of like milieu, um, same principles as well. Um, and, you know, it's, they're, it, it, it is a power move. It's like a raw expression of class power. It's demagogic. Um, and I, I worry because it's difficult to permeate without looking like you're in favor of abuse or like you're an abusive person. 
and that's what they try to do fucking terrifying because it's like there's there's no institutional formalism to anything anymore between like regular people and and these political pundits and like these people these parasocial pundits they're literally in bed with you like you fall asleep listening to them tell anecdotes about their lives and shit and like they can interweave that with like whatever fucking political events are going on like in real time and so all of your critical faculties then are necessarily just totally suspended that's why like you and i were both such like naive little fucking empathy cucks like with the bread tubers (laughs) when we because we were both just sort of like normie libs who were galvanized by the promise of economic change right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, we were mm -hmm. uh, we were both interested in academic marxism but like Mm -hmm. we 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 know academic marxism is bastardized Mm -hmm. um and we were galvanized by the bernie moment with the promise Mm -hmm. of economic change and you know the bread tubers they they talk about the most like humiliating and embarrassing shit to like to the point where you have secondhand embarrassment but like also it's this very relatable kind of endearment right and Mm -hmm. i think that the most successful people in that realm are kind of able to take their cringe and like elicit sympathy from you Mm -hmm. as they push Mm -hmm. through all of these things that are keeping you beneath them Mm -hmm. i I find that the most contemptible to be honest i mean it's it's awful that parasocial punditry is the future but it is the future um it's here and it's now yeah yeah it's worse than anything orwell could have imagined um the the, the 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 fact that that's the fucking future of politics like it's going to be very difficult to combat because one of the most difficult things to permeate are people's parasocial attachments and also yes. the their consumer behavior and their consumer mentality um and yeah it's it's she's she's an expert at sort of wielding that power um mm. AOC yeah she's like an expert at wielding that power um and it, it's terrifying um but you know what else traumatized me comrade um what? the <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> the article by Time magazine that was basically similar to OJ Simpson's uh what if i did it <laughs> what if i did it? um yeah do you oh, want to explain do you want to talk about the article do you want to explain Yeah. Oh, my God. So this article came out in the Times called The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. And it basically supposedly like lifts the veil and apocalypses the hell out of what we're what we were all pointing to, like through the entire election cycle. And, you know, it does so by outright admitting that the elite are openly working very literally in back rooms with leaders of the left, like every civil society org collaborated to produce the election result that they wanted, just like we all were saying in real time. Um, Let me just read this excerpt from the article. Yeah, go ahead. So it says, it's all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a tense, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO, published on Election Day. Both sides come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain, inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, 
racial justice protests in which the forces of labor the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose trump's assault on democracy the handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election <laughs> an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote but to ensuring it would be free and fair credible and uncorrupted <laughs> so it's just it literally is like oj simpson like sh vibes no, right now like yeah. serious fucking OJ simpson yeah. vibe. oh god and like yeah it, the, the idea of like an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans which is like a quote taken right out of this um like how how is how is it like pe people call us fascists all the time um and yes. like <laughs> us making a podcast that you know some right-wing people may listen to and think, hey, maybe Marxism is cool equals awesome. fascism. But, like, right. you know, an uh, informal alliance between left-wing activists and capital, no, that's just, you know, woke and brilliant and democracy. Like, this is... um like it's my it boggles the mind it, it literally boggles the mind but the thing that really fucks me off the most is how people are trying to kick this into the tall grass well because yes. they can yeah. and how can. people don't actually want to see this like this it's sort of being repressed it's sort of like you know a confession after the, the fact when it no longer matters in a way that sort of adds insult to injury to those who already knew what was going on and who got deplatformed yeah. and were vilified and were told that they were the worst people in the world for, you know, even daring to breathe a word of anything that, you know, could be considered, cons con that could be considered subversive during that period. Um, and exactly. yeah, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Like on our last episode with uh, the thunder from down under Miss um, Amy Therese, uh, we talked about legitimation narratives, right? And uh, legitimation narratives, especially the ones in recent history that the academy essentially had to tell about neoliberalism after the crash in the academy to essentially make capitalism accountable during a crisis of faith. Um, you know, I asked her what sorts of like legitimation narratives did she think will come in the next era? And I really think that just seeing the constant gaslighting of like all these political actions in the moment and the virtuous reflecting on it after the fact, like it really just is a dis raw display of class power. And I think that we're in an era where legitimation narratives are literally just they gaslight you while it's happening. And then as soon as it's finished, they confirm what you suspected all along, but they make a virtuous display of it. And so you and I can't be possibly ever be seen to be legitimately critiquing anything, right? And so they're still framing us as a paranoid conspiracy theorist because they're framing it as, well, how can it possibly be a conspiracy if everything was in plain sight the whole time? Let's move on, let's memory hold this. And it's like, you know, just seeing these narratives and accepted reality shift in real time, mm. you know, cl clearly that's how the, that's how the democratic process is working. That's how you know it's working. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of soul crushing and it grinds you down. <laughs> and I think that that's yeah, the absolutely. express purpose of it is to sort of exhaust people and like give them this sort of moral fatigue. Um, and that's exactly how I've been feeling over the last like week or so during this whole like the whole like divulgence of all of this um and also all of the other political events that have happened it's just sort of this like you know this fog of like moral fatigue 
And it's difficult to combat. Yeah. It's difficult to combat that moral fatigue, which is the reason why most people just check the fuck out. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's what they're banking on. They're banking on people just checking the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, if you just point to things when they're politically relevant in the moment, you're just public enemy number one. But they can really do whatever the fuck they want. And so, you know, I think if you're making, you're reproducing any kind of like political analysis, you know, it's better to just do it in real time and like point to what they're doing exactly in the moment because they memory hole everything. And so if we can just remind people of what they're trying to memory hole, you know, repeat ourselves loudly and often, I think that that's, I think that that can have value in and of itself, you know, regardless of like it not being tied to any kind of political movement or any kind of easy sort of like policy proposals that your bog standard liberals can have. Massively. Um, and it's so easy to memory hole these days, you know, with the sort of hyper acceleration of like the Internet and event, current events and media events, because things are happening so quickly all the time. And people, you know, today's like fucking like they say today's headline is like tomorrow's toilet paper. Um, and I mean, if that was true during the print age, like it's even more, tr- more so true now that. You know, um, like I know that Michael Tracy was getting a lot of shit uh, called being called like obsessed for, you know, talking about like the AOC. He was called fiasco. a rape apologist like, yeah. on the Twitter fucking trending page. Which it's is fucked insane. up. It's insane. It's real fucked up. They'll make him more famous, though. They'll make him more famous than he already is. <laughs> yeah, you can't um, cancel Mike Tracy. No. He's too much of a Chad. No, he can't. But what was they saying? Um, they, uh, <laughs> they fucking, um, yeah, the, they, uh, they was calling him obsessed. Or if you talk about this story, they're always like, "You're obsessed." You know, just take the L, or you know, and it's like mm. they say because they're obsessed with their like infantile team sports they automatically assume that you're like a a supporter of trump and all of his policies and that you're this maga person simply because you're interested in this story and that the whole sort of thing that they try to use to deter people from excavating the information is only maga people would be concerned with that sort of thing like it's so fucked up it's so fucked up it is, yeah. And I, I saw an article today on the LA Times that basically said, what are we going to do? Or what should you do about the Trumpites next door? You know, just totally pathologizing like half of the country. Jesus. And it just, it made me cry, honestly, because it's like, it's just devastatingly sad that, you know, all of your institutions are reflecting that you're necessarily like an undesirable, You're like you're not even a, a citizen anymore just because you voted in your material interest which is why working class people vote right because they're voting for their material interest because the democrats represent you know the the highest earning income brackets like what are you talking about like of course people vote in their material interest they're not you know they're not stupid and and being brainwashed into white supremacy um so yeah yeah i just I find the increasing, you know, demonization of your fellow countrymen to just be the most deplorable, for lack of a better word, uh, consent that's being manufactured at the yeah. moment. It, it really scares me. It worries me. I mean, the precedent was even set at the Capitol where people were like calling the cops on their grandparents. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outing your family members. Like, I'm sorry, any ideology that has you you know, turn against your family is necessarily a fucking cult. Massively. And the fact that it's become so codified now really makes me afraid for the future 
um it makes even like the idea of bringing children into a world like that is is terrifying to me like you know yeah. and the fact that it's so normal to so many people um but yeah th- that's why i guess like we do what we do because it you know there are people out there who don't think it's normal and who appreciate the fact that we're like this isn't normal like this the way that yeah. we're talking the way the, the the line that we've taken is the fucking rational way to excavate all of this and anyone out there who's listening who also takes that line like you're not abnormal for um so in other words you are uwu valid <laughs> you're valid well, yeah and also just uh, your critical faculties you know you've been taught to suspend them so much that no i think just going back to basics even if you're very confused at the moment with everything like just trust your intuition yeah. and go from there you know like uh, it sounds cliche but question everything and you know hold these powerful people whether they're politicians or not like any powerful person right now with a platform because these platforms are entirely in the purview of the left essentially so anybody with a large platform like you hold them accountable like you scrutinize them you can't cancel these people like these people were all engineered via virality through black box algorithms that are entirely in the purview of tech oligarchs so i'm sorry the idea that like contrapoints was ever canceled is complete bullshit like yeah. you can't cancel these people, but they're necessarily canceling us all the time. Yeah. They're canceling our ideas all the time. And like now, you know, they, they want us to live in the pod, but they're also coming for the pod world. So like Trump, yeah. when Trump was yeeted off Twitter by uh, our corporate overlords, Steve Bannon was also as, as well. And uh, Steve Bannon actually broadcast uh, election denialism, apparently and uh calls to action according to this blue check or whatever several times a day via apple's podcast app and he said he's the only one using the platform to spread claims that became a rallying cry of the mob that threatened the capital even though the entire left apparatus was telling you to deny the election results if like if trump won so (laughs) like our brave watchdog media won't rest until every venue for online political expression is regulated in strict accordance with what they view as permissible and you have all the bread tubers going and trying to cancel like podcasters now yeah i saw yeah like thought slime or whatever the fuck (laughs) what what did what did what did what did they say Oh, they've just been talking about on Twitter how, like, podcasts are getting away with the red-brown alliance, comrades. Oh, God. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Like, seriously. <laughs> There's red in your brown. Call a fucking physician, you freak. Like, fuck <laughs> off. Um, like, oh, one no. of, like, the thing that annoys me is that this whole mode tries to violently divorce you from your intuition. Yes. Which is, like, the one most important thing you have to like navigate your way through life and like situations protect yourself yeah Yeah. it tries to violently and like what back in my rad lib days i like really 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 repressed my intuition and i saw in the same way that i used to when i was like raised in like a religious framework yeah like i i really repressed my intuition and i felt like the intuitive thoughts and feelings i had about how wrong everything was made me evil and that i just needed to try harder and like do better and all of that fucking bullshit and it's such a horrible thing to do to the spirit of human beings it's such a evil fucked up vile thing to do to like the human spirit um not to sound like alex jones or anything but 
you know, it's just really just, you know, crazy, evil, despotic behavior. Exactly. And like secularism is really only ever valued when it suits the ruling class. Um, you know, when progressivism was purely secular, it was able to circumvent the separation of church and state and expose its worldview while, you know, being a replacement for religion. But now wokeness is coming in and literally replacing the core tenets of religion with its own um, because like uh, the secularism of progressivism isn't satisfying for like the human soul anymore. So it's really able to successfully do that. And yeah, they're now doing like, um, like, oh, the, you know, they're doing all this religious iconography or, or canonizing fucking Biden as, as Jesus Christ and uh, talking about how like, oh, Biden was at church today, blah, blah. But it's like, I mean, secularism is only humored as long as it works as a disingenuous partisan bludgeon. Like the ideological apparatus will always prefer religion. And this is the new civic uh, secular religion. Yeah. And it's it's one where, you know, original sin, it, it's not like it can be forgiven or anything. Like <clears throat> once oh, you're... Oh no, little, that's it. Yeah. It's like, you know how... That's a good the, point, yeah. In the Catholic, there's this really funny sketch... I forget the name of the comedian, but he's like friends with Tim Dillon. And he did like a like a sketch where he was sort of making the same point, basically, that like, you know, mm. the sort of religion of wokeness or whatever. And like, you know, in the how in the Catholic Church, there's like the confession booth. And the idea is that that's sort of a neutral space where you can tell your innermost to somebody who is going to keep it confidentially and not sort of morally judge you for or whatever but in this in this version of you know religion they'll like fucking take the stuff that you say in the convention in the confession box there's not even a confession box like you know and if you're dumb enough to confess anything then they'll use it to fucking hang you like for the rest of your life yeah and it's it's funny because they ironically kind of shoot themselves in the foot this way because then they just delineate the people who are kind of coming up as bad and then like that person has absolutely no incentive anymore to you know call their critiques they're just like fuck it if i'm gonna be you know a racist or a turf or whatever the fuck like for the rest of my life then i'm just gonna say whatever the fuck i want so i don't know like maybe they should at least like incentivize people a little more not to do that well that's um, they're not smart they're arrogant which is the yeah, reason they're why arrogant. That's they're a good so point. arrogant they like they're so yeah. short-sighted and so arrogant and they don't see how any of this is a house of cards like the people who are sort of yeah. you know really behind this mode and are pushing they don't see how it's a house of cards and they also have this weird assumption because they don't really escape their little echo chambers that everyone else is on their side and that people (laughs) aren't just being polite and like humoring the weird person in the middle of the room who's like screeching um (laughs) out of like sheer politeness uh but yeah yeah, of course because most people don't want to hurt people yeah most most people people aren't assholes and most people pity those who are clearly in some form of crisis um yes it's just what's socially you know you know it's what social it's like if you have social graces that's what you're gonna do and like i don't think that they understand the extent to which like they're being humored most of the time and i also don't think that (laughs) i think that there are certain levels that this thing is gonna cross that's gonna you know breach some very important barriers and people are just gonna fucking people are gonna fucking revolt against it as as much as they can anyway because this is a a power a system of power that we're dealing with it's not just a few a handful of people but um i think we're going to see a lot more ire in terms of people pushing back against like some of these policies but the thing that makes me afraid 
mm. um, is that they've now managed to lump every single form of dissent in with violent fascism. Yeah. So anyone Through who this, yep. Yeah, you're in. You're either yeah. Anyone who is like, no, this isn't a good idea. This isn't what I want for society. This isn't what I want. Sorry, this isn't what I want my kids to grow up in. This isn't the you know, this isn't democracy. This isn't freedom. This isn't the way politicians should behave. Anyone who says that is automatically lumped into the same category as violent fascists, and that is that's terrifying. <laughs> that's that's more terrifying than anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the ironic part of their self-flagellation is that, like, the self-flagellation of the leftists, it doesn't even allow them to actually grapple with their bad ideas because, like, the original sin and then atonement is prepackaged for them. And in the biggest irony, like, they can't really reckon with terrible ideas when they're endowed with this moral infallibility. Um like ideology is contemporary theology, but at least at the very least, if you ask a religious person to unpack their religious beliefs in a compact way, they can't really do it. Um, they don't have any complex notion of how their beliefs operate in like a complex schema and like leftists as well. Right. But at least like religions have some kind of consistent values. Yeah, exactly. They're not just, yeah. These and ones, just, the goalpost is constantly shifting on what those values are. Exactly. And just the fact that they're able to delineate people as enemies because of like the way that they voted in a supposedly democratic election. Like, I just it's incomprehensible, really. Yeah. Well, I'd always rather hang out with the heretics. Like one of the reasons why I was so disillusioned with the goth scene to sort of tie it back to the beginning is because a lot of it was just sort of aesthetic LARPing and like titillating oneself with darkness uh here and there but still sort of being you know very attached to the status quo in a lot of other ways like you know even though it claimed to be this whole group of outsiders and freaks or whatever there was still the same sort of misogyny there was a lot of racism too in the goth Mm. scene like a lot of fucking racism and uh, also lots of people using gothness as an excuse to like not treat their mental illnesses or like to join pro anorexia groups and like cutting yeah. and just like not not good <laughs> stuff bad stuff not not good stuff um and like you know i the reason i was attracted to it because i was genuinely interested in subversion i was genuinely sort of interested in heresy and i've always been attracted to heresy and i've always been you know suspicious of a society that wants to hang its heretics like heretics have a very valuable place in every single every single iteration of society and i'd rather like they say um you know reign in hell than serve in heaven so yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) i'd rather live live on my feet than die on my or wait live Live on on my my feet feet than die on my die on my knees yeah yeah. oh or my knees yeah (laughs) Sure, whichever one. <laughs> Same idea. <laughs> whichever cheesy metaphor, we got it. We got it. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, fuck it. Fuck yeah. Like, let's be continue being heretical, even though being her- heretical is dangerous. Like, it delineates right. us. It delineates <laughs> us with a long, long lineage of people who were heretical before us. So so here's to the heretics, Fergie. Let's clink our yeah. fake, fake wine glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, thank you guys in the audience for listening to this very goth, very um, dark episode of Cointelhost. We really appreciate you guys. Um, Feel free to share the podcast around too. Like we are anonymous, so we can't. We don't really do much, and we can't do as much as we would in terms of um, promoting the podcast because, like, obviously we're anonymous. So share it around, like, let people know about it. You know, follow us on Twitter. We also have a Patreon if you would like to support our Patreon um, so that we can finally produce our first bonus episode. We haven't actually yes. produced any ep- bonus episodes yet because, like, we don't have any Patreons yet. <laughs> so if you, want, if you want us to make a bonus episode just for you, um, then feel free to join our Patreon. There's a link in the show notes um, and the show notes of all other previous episodes as well. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.